0: And now here's your host, Grand Canyon whitewater guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. Today, the trail less traveled leads to Tianu, which is on New Zealand's South Island. And Tianu is the gateway to Fiordland National Park. It's one of the most beautiful roads to drive from Teano to Milford Sound through the Southern Alps, passing through the Homer Tunnel, which is approximately 1.27 kilometers long. Today I'm interviewing Roscoe Gowden, who is the mayor of Milford. And in 1990, he started Roscoe's Milford Kayaks, which is by far New Zealand's best and most spectacular sea kayaking adventures and it's been an honor to guide for Roscoe over the past few months. I've been guiding mainly the Sunriser Classic, which is the first trip that Roscoe started the company. And now you can do many different trips. You can kayak all the way out to the Tasman Sea, get picked up by the water taxi and get a ride back. You can paddle out to Sterling Falls. You can join us for the Paddle and Walk, which we paddled to the end of the Milford Track, at a place called Sandfly Point, and hike up to Giants Gate Falls. It's a total of eight different trips that Roscoe's Milford Kayaks offers guests from all over the world. We're going to talk to Roscoe a little bit more about that later, but Roscoe, I'd like to ask you about your early childhood geared more towards how you became interested in traveling via kayak and the water.
1: Yeah, my first introduction to kayaking in the water was as a young fella in the surf actually I got into surf life-saving and I was paddling surf skis and then a lot of my friends that were also paddling surf skis were also into a bit of white water so at that stage there was a transition from triathlons that were just in their infancy back in the day where swim bike run was being replaced by kayak bike run and there was all these events popping up that were geared around kayaking instead of swimming so yeah I had a few friends that were obviously doing slalom kayaking and that sort of thing. My interest was going fast down rapids so I got into the downriver racing side of the sport and got into the competitive triathlon scene with these downriver boats. Quite long, quite tippy, quite a steep learning curve and a few swims but I uh, hell of a lot of fun and soon my skill levels got good enough to start competing quite successfully in these events and yeah sort of just grew from there really. The kayaks themselves were fiberglass they were long they were skinny they were almost like a K1 hull but they were not quite as skinny as that but the buzz for me was just going places we had the rack set up and I had a big old Valiant Chrysler car and we had a rack that would take six or seven of these precariously stacked on top of one another on the rack and away we'd go on these missions all over, mainly the North Island, but also the South Island as well. Sometimes it was just, you know, going down a new river just for fun. Other times it was, as I say, competing with other like-minded people. It was just the buzz of being in the outdoors and you know, flying down these rapids Obviously the fitness side of it was pretty big, you know there was a lot of training involved, lots of just straight paddling but also weight training and stuff just to get your core strength up for being able to hold the pace down the rivers. I very much enjoyed it. More about the road trips and just getting out and seeing other parts of New Zealand and checking out some beautiful rivers as well, some beautiful gorges and river valleys and just seeing them in all their different levels, high, low, rocky, in floods sometimes, and yeah, just the camaraderie of doing that with friends was amazing.
0: Now, Roscoe, you were describing the boat, and I think you used the word fiberglass, and you're also doing downriver races on steep rivers that potentially have rocks. Did you ever have any experiences with the boat breaking? Because fiberglass isn't used a lot of times nowadays with whitewater kayaking in New Zealand, I
1: believe. Yeah they mainly plastic these days but yeah the fibreglass were the early ones and then we progressed to the Kevlar, pretty much got onto them pretty quick after a few holes and accidents with the glass ones. The thing is about the Kevlar ones they were noticeably more expensive so again it came down to money. When you first started off in the sport I bought a mate's second hand down river boat, it was already a wee bit leaky and we patched it up with a bit of fibreglass and. That got patched and repatched, and like you say, it did get a bit precarious going down some of the rivers. I wouldn't say there were tears, but there was certainly angst when you were smacking into some big rocks that you weren't supposed to be smacking into, supposed to be going down between them. But uh, my boat didn't end up too bad. One noticeable admission to that was when we were coming into a triathlon just out of Auckland, Waitamata City, one of the big cities just north of Auckland. We were travelling along the motorway and I think I had about four downriver river boats on my top of my car and one minute we're driving along doing about 100 kilometres an hour, next minute there's just a shower of fibreglass behind us and everyone looked at one another who tied the boats on. It was me that had tied the boats on. The boats were still tied on but unfortunately the rack had come off the car so the wind got under the rack and just lifted it off its wee feet on the guttering on one side and that was enough to peel the entire four kayaks off and uh, onto the road so that was a sad day, that was probably our biggest carnage day and it wasn't even on the river.
0: Now, you use the word Kevlar as well, and Kevlar is a pretty amazing material because nowadays a lot of the motorcycle protective equipment is also made from Kevlar. Could you tell us a little bit more about Kevlar?
1: Kevlar is an amazing woven fabric. It's used in all sorts of applications, obviously boats, automotive, bulletproof vests, I believe. I haven't had much to do with Kevlar, apart from the motorcycle side of things and the boat side of things, the boats, as I say I did, eventually progress to a Kevlar boat as my budget allowed. Yeah, motorcycles is Kevlar jeans these days, which are, they call them dragging jeans, which are a pretty amazing product where you can actually come off your bike and not lose skin because they're Kevlar coated. But yeah, Kevlar in the world of kayaking sort of revolutionised you'd still stay really light without going to the weight of plastic and really light and really strong but as I say that came at a cost and these days predominantly there's carbon and Kevlar mixed and I, I believe carbon's just a, another wonder fabric which has really got the weight down to unbelievable you know these boats are weighing in a, a lot less than what they were back when I was peddling in the mid 80s I suppose.
0: You are on the Trail Less Traveled, the community's source for adventure information and inspiration. And today the Trail Less Traveled is being recorded in Teanu, which is on New Zealand's South Island's west coast. It's the gateway to Fiordland, And 123 kilometers away, a road through the Southern Alps, you'll come to the Milford Sound. Now my guest this evening is the mayor of Milford. He also started Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. Roscoe Gowden. Now Roscoe... This is a question I've been just really looking forward to asking you for a while. Please take us back to the first time you ever went to the Milford Sound and what was it like? What did you feel when you were there?
1: The first time I came into Milford was, yeah, very amazing. I probably did it the reverse to what most people do it. I did it coming into Milford rather than going out. So, what I mean by that is I didn't actually do what most people do, is drive into Milford through the tunnel, down the hill. I came in via the coast in a kayak, which was pretty special as well. So I came in off the Tasman Sea after doing a mission down the Holyford River and out into Martins Bay, and we came round into Milford with a pod of probably 150-odd bottlenose dolphins. We could see the entrance from quite a ways out we saw the St Anne's Lighthouse and swung into Milford. Pretty weary, been a big day along the coast. It had been quite a big swell and one of my friends had been quite seasick so it had been a lot of towing for me and I was pretty knackered the time I got into Milford but we went in and were keen to make the pub for a cold beer so we carried on paddling into the fjord and paddling in under Stirling Falls, the dolphins by this stage had left us but it was still absolutely spectacular. Stirling Falls comes off a hanging valley, one of the classic U-shaped hanging valleys. This just a little bit over 150 odd metres high. It's a big fjord, and when you paddle under it, you know, the feeling of looking up is incredible. And the spray, the water just taking your breath away, yeah, it was pretty memorable. And from there, going into Milford, paddle stroke by paddle stroke, and. Just seeing the grandeur of the place and seeing the lights as we came in closer. Yeah, the feeling of an accomplishment of getting into Milford itself. But, you know, the wildlife, the penguins, the seals, the dolphins, that stuck in my mind for months, years later. And that's what sort of gave me the impetus to start up the sea kayaking business.
0: Let's talk about starting your sea kayaking business that's been around since 1990. You offer a variety of trips, paddling all the way out to the Tasman Sea, or perhaps if you want to just do an easy rider tour for two hours around the fjord, you can get a pretty much customized trip depending on what you'd like to do. Backing up to starting your sea kayak company, Roscoe's Milford Kayaks, tell us about that journey, starting your company.
1: It started with just an idea that people might want to see Milford from something other than a boat. Obviously there was quite a few boats in Milford at that stage. I was working over the hill in Queenstown as a river guide at the time, rafting, and yeah after that initial trip into Milford back in 1988 I thought well people would like to see it, I'm sure people would like to see it from the eyes of a kayak. kept that thought to my forefront of my mind and went about looking at setting up the business back in 1990, which wasn't particularly hard back then. There was not a lot of red tape or bureaucracy to cut through. It was just a matter of seeing the Department of Conservation who administered the concessions, getting permission off them and getting started. There was no resource consents, none of the red tape that there is today for starting up such an operation. So I started from Queenstown. I believe that there was a demand for people to see it from Queenstown. So I set up a trip which I thought would be quite uh, appealing for people, which took people across the lake, Lake Wakatipu, on a sailing boat to Walter Peak. And the boat is called the City of Dunedin. It's no longer on the lake. I'm not sure exactly where it might be these days. It was a round-the-world yacht built pretty solidly from memory. And we'd get on that boat fairly early in the morning, have breakfast and sail if wind's permitted or motor across to Walter Peak. And then we'd go from Walter Peak, which is a high country sheep farm, through the Vaughan Valley, an amazing valley, very dusty. I used to, uh, back in those days, hire a van and we used to duct tape the doors. We used to slam the doors shut and duct tape all the gaps so the dust wouldn't get into the vehicle if I didn't duct tape the doors that people would be sitting there in a haze of dust it was probably about close to 80 kilometers of dusty road to drive lots of gates to open and close been a high country sheep farm a couple of river crossings a swing bridge experience at Mavora which i found fascinating that a lot of people had never been on a swing bridge in their lives so i didn't realize how much of a buzz that was going to be for people but we used to cross the swing bridge at Mavora lakes and then finally come into Tiana where I had my kayaks stored at a yard, and we'd pick those kayaks up on the back of a trailer and head into Milford. The Milford experience back in those days was a two-day affair. We'd stay at the Milford Lodge, and the first evening we got there, we'd walk up the Milford track up to Giant Gate Falls and get a taste of what the Milford track was about. Next day, we'd get a... Early start and head out to Stirling Waterfall. We'd paddle out to the magnificent Stirling Waterfall under that hanging valley that I was talking about before, before returning back. And then I'd get back in the van, take the kayaks back to Tianau before heading back to Walter Peak. We would catch the Earnslaw, which is an old steamer ship, which was at that stage was about 80 years old. To just had its 100th birthday in the last couple of years. We'd catch the steamship, the Earnslaw, back to Queenstown. And then I'd do it all again, so it was back-to-back trips, which when I think about it back in those days was pretty daunting, but I was young and full of enthusiasm, and that's what we did. So that was the start of Roscoe's Milford Kayaks.
0: We're going to learn more about how the company has come to where it is now and offering so many trips, people from all over the world come to kayak in the Milford Sound with Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. But now it's time for a song. So Roscoe is hoping that you could maybe share a song with us that reminds you of your early adventures in water.
1: Dave Dobbin, A Slice of Heaven. Dave Dobbin is one of New Zealand's premier singer-songwriters. It's his words, it's his song. It sort of epitomises where we live as being a slice of heaven. So that's my song of choice for this round.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Karuna Clothing. Karuna Clothing is handcrafted from natural fabrics, which soften as they age. Currently, with design workshops in Missoula, Montana, and Mendocino County, California, all of their clothing is sewn and dyed in the United States. Karuna Clothing is sewn with love and laughter, and designed simply with the use of the best fabrics. They create their own unique colors, creating small batch product lines which are simply beautiful. Karuna clothing is the first thing I toss into my suitcase when recording on location for the trail less traveled. You can find out more by visiting karunaclothing.com. That's k a r u n a clothing.com. It's The Trail Less Travelled with Mandela. Tonight, The Trail Less Travelled is featuring Roscoe Gowden, and Roscoe is the mayor of Milford. The Milford Sound is the most northern fjord in Fjordland National Park, and that is on New Zealand's South Island's west coast Now, Fiordland itself is the size of Wales. It's one of the biggest national parks in the world. Now, Roscoe, I'd like to talk to you now about just owning a company here in New Zealand and helping it become what it has today, offering so many different trips and having such great gear that you offer your clients because the Milford Sound is known for having epic weather and wind, and you offer... Awesome kayaking expeditions, some of the most spectacular kayaking in New Zealand.
1: And the world. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been quite a journey from day one. Obviously I came from a recreational kayaking background and a commercial rafting background, which did help me out as far as knowing the risk, understanding the risk. And obviously the weather played a huge part, and it still does, it always will, in the whole business, and especially where we are in the 45th parallel. It, the weather can come on so strong, one minute nice sunny, next minute, gale force winds, a front's come off the Tasman and it's, excuse my French, kicking ass. You know, It's 100 knots plus and that can come in in the matter of an hour or less. So the early days were trial and error. Obviously I was doing the majority of the guiding myself. It gave me a few moments where I thought, gee, this is an incredible place to run a kayaking business. My early trips, I quickly understood, were too long. The trip out to Stirling Falls was an admirable goal, but it was too far. People got out there okay, but they'd run out of energy on the way back, which would result in me towing multiple kayaks multiple distances back to the ramp. So I looked in my visitor book especially after my first couple of years and everyone sort of said, you know, awesome trip, but I'm absolutely, at the end of my tether, I'm knackered. So we sort of pulled those trips back, but in latter years, from the later 90s, the money to get a water taxi going, we got those trips going again, but obviously one way, not two ways, so. Yeah, trip distances, the fact that we use double kayaks, predominantly plastic doubles, We have used a lot of Neki boats, which will be familiar with a lot of your listeners. Neki Amarukes, the stable of our fleet. Very well constructed boats, stable yet reasonably fast, being able to cover the kilometres. They surf well in a following sea and still our boat of choice to this day, especially for all our water taxi assist trips. They're light enough to be able to haul up onto our water taxi though a good boat the trips themselves we've got quite a bit of knowledge now as a company with weather and limits of what we can and can't do with these other trips that sort of came on in the late 90s aptly named the morning glory the early morning trip the afternoon delight the afternoon trip and these trips aren't you know for beginners they're more targeted at people that have got a bit of water confidence or want to see Milford a bit more of an adventurous way. And these trips have been growing in popularity over the years to the fact that you know, in the summertime you do have to book quite a ways in advance to get on some of these trips. But yeah, getting back to how we sort of evolved the trips, it was always around the weather and in the early days that was that day breeze that hampered us and we couldn't get out against it. And wasn't until I realised that I needed to get some sort of boat to get the boats out there, that uh, we, we come up with these other trips, but that obviously took time and money and didn't happen until the very end of the 90s.
0: Roscoe, can you tell us a little bit more about this area that you're offering your kayaking expeditions? As a guide, I'm sure you've said it a thousand times, you know, talking about the Milford Sound and Fjordland National Park. Why is it such an amazing place that, I don't know about you, but I think everybody needs to go there.
1: Yep, no, they sure do. It is unbelievable. The thing that always gets me about Milford is Milford and all its different moods. It's one of the wettest places on the planet where people live and work. 2016 year, we got just over 9.2 metres of rain for the year, which is incredible amount of rain in a rain gauge. And to live and work in that amount of rain, the thing is, it doesn't rain all the time in Milford, but when it does rain, really does rain it comes down like you wouldn't believe which sets the whole place alive with thousands of waterfalls some of the best waterfalls you ever see in your life and the waterfalls just roar the whole place comes alive it is truly spectacular to see milford in a heavy downpour i never get sick of it i took a good friend of mine in january we went into it for our wild foods evening extremely wet evening and my friend hadn't been into Milford for a few years and I said we just have to stop at the chasm and check this out and we went onto to the chasm bridge which is a short walk off the Milford road and the bridge was humming like a guitar string there was that much water going under the bridge and to see it like that I can count on one hand how many times I've seen it like that it still sends shivers down my spine just to see Fiordland like that Conversely, you know, in the winter time, it's a seasonal place in the winter, the water is like a sheet of glass, the mountains are all snow-capped, it's just so peaceful, especially early morning to go out there and just watch the sun come up. So as I say, a place of many moods. In my early days we used to do a lot of full moon paddling, we ran those as trips actually and they were very special as well and just to see the shooting stars and especially city people. Look at their faces and see how clear the skies were and the stars and the you know just all the constellations it was incredible. It is a four seasons in one day area, you know on a sunny day it is absolutely stunning, beautiful, and then other end of the you know spectrum the wet days, which I've talked about, and you know the thunder and lightning that's the other big buzz about living in Milford and you do have to live there a little while to experience that, but again, the thunder that claps down through the valleys and out into the fjords. Unbelievable. It shakes the whole building that we live in and very, very spectacular as well. So the storms, you know, preceded by the thunder and lightning, the heavy rain, the sunshine, the winter, you yeah, know, the whole package. It's just a place to really, really encourage your listeners to come and visit Milford, you know, once in their life at least.
0: You are on the Trail Less Traveled, the community source for adventure information and inspiration. On um, Today on the show, I'm featuring Roscoe Gowden, who is the owner and operator of Roscoe's Milford Kayaks, and that is by far New Zealand's best sea kayaking adventures, and potentially the uh, best sea kayaking in the world. I think so. I'm one of the guides for Roscoe. So, Roscoe, I work for you, and one of the first things that I clear up with the guests is... The difference between a fjord and a sound, because it's called the Milford Sound, but it's in Fjordland National Park. So can you tell the listeners what you might share with your guests, say, if we were on the water right now, and we're talking about the difference between a sound and a fjord?
1: Yeah, a lot of people, even the early explorers, thought that Milford was a sound, which was like a flooded river valley. They had no concept that fjordland could be carved out by ice, and it is a hard concept to get your head around, When you see how deep the valleys are, even the valley coming down from the Homer Tunnel, if you look at that and think that that was all carved out by ice, it's quite mind-blowing. And it's only the geologists that have actually come to this conclusion. And, And it is a fact, you know, the early explorers called Milford a sound, as in a flooded river valley, like Marlborough sounds coming across from the Picton Ferry. That's a sound, they're just hills. A fjord carved out by ice, filled in by seawater. Milford is truly one of the most magnificent fjords in the world. It's right up there with the Norwegian fjords. And so spectacular, so spectacular, especially, as I say, in the winter months when all these tops are covered with snow. You are listening and watching avalanches crack down off the tops. Just hard to, you know, and even better if you get the chance to see it Like Mandela has from either a helicopter or a fixed wing plane, you really do feel like when you're amongst it like that, it's just almost surreal flying over these fjords.
0: And when you're kayaking out there in the Milford Sound, the guides and the guests are able to still see one glacier, which I like to tell them is a reminder for us as to how this place came to be. Can you tell us about that glacier and the mountain it's on?
1: Yeah, it's the Pembroke Glacier and that's quite interesting in the years that I've been there you really do notice that it is receding uh, like a lot of glaciers are on the west coast of the South Island. This one is receding quite a bit. It is a beautiful mountain, uh, you can paddle right into Harrison Cove and look up and almost feels like you can touch it up there And but unfortunately I think, not in my lifetime but probably in the next 50 years or so that glacier will be No more. The rate that it is disappearing is quite incredible. You look at some of the photos back in the 80s and early 90s to what it is now. It's certainly, I don't know if it's a sign of global warming, but uh, yeah, the Pembroke Glacier, while you can see it, very, very beautiful.
0: Now working as a guide for you, i got to give a shout out to the best accommodation I've ever experienced as a guide. You have some pretty amazing accommodation now. But the combination that you started with, you were known as the ghetto boys that were living in caravans and then also just living in the caravans and eating some of the fish and the crayfish that fishermen brought in. It just sounds really romantic back in the day, what it was like. Tell us a little bit more about just living in the caravans and paint the picture of Deepwater Basin and what the caravan living might have been like.
1: Yeah, they're real happy days. Obviously, when I started... There wasn't a whole lot of cash flow, money was scarce and when I did first come into Milford the caravan option was the one that presented itself first and foremost. There was never going to be a house or even a shed built for accommodation so it was especially important when I started employing my first guides that they had somewhere to sleep. They weren't going to come in and pitch a tent although some of them did to start with. The thing is with Milford, with the horrendous amount of rainfall, you do need somewhere that's going to be at least dry and warm to live in, and the caravans that I did manage to collect all around the South Island of New Zealand, I'd be driving along the west coast of the South Island, I'd see a caravan on the side of the road, a 14-foot caravan, $600 as is wearers, which means no warrant of fitness, no warrant. Uh, I'd quickly go in and offer the guy $500, hook it on the back of my whatever vehicle I was driving and tow it through, normally in the middle of the night, into Milford and plonk it there. We're amassed in a short space of time, probably about six or seven caravans and collectively I decided to call them the Paddle On Inn. The inn being I-N-N, two words as an accommodation and The caravans themselves, they all had names. The moss pit, which was the, well, supposedly the mould that was growing around the edges of the caravans. The romper room, the lab, the House. I had a guide called Ross Whore, and his nickname was Horry. I actually rang his mother one day to see when Ross was due to be coming back, and I reached her answer phone, and she said, Hi, you've reached the whorehouse, and no one's home at the moment. Please leave a message. I played this to my other guides and we were all rolling around laughing at this, so we decided to call his caravan the Whorehouse. The caravans themselves, we put in these big steel poles and deadman weights and had iron roofs over them, so despite their outward appearances, they were actually dry. There was no water getting into them. It was rustic living, as I say, the guides, we were the ghetto boys. We liked to work hard, party hard and play hard and there was many a good time had in those caravans, many good parties, the generosity of the local fishermen. When I came there, there were only fishermen living there, and I was the one and only tourism person that came in with initially my one caravan, and then it became my six caravans, and then as the years progressed, the fishermen upgraded their boats to bigger and bigger boats with better accommodations so one by one their caravans and house buses disappeared and then it was just me there was no fishermen left so coming in as the only tourism operator surrounded by eight or ten fishermen to slowly having the fishermen as they get bigger boats and move out of the area and so forth and then it was me and then I decided that I needed to become mayor of the small town.
0: Awesome. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, recorded on location on New Zealand's South Island in Teanu, the gateway to Fiordland, And we're speaking with Roscoe Gowden, who is the owner and operator of Roscoe's Milford Kayaks, which is New Zealand's best and most spectacular sea kayaking adventures. And you can find out more and book your own trip at roscoesmilfordkayaks.com. Roscoe, it's now time to play a song. So you're just speaking about the caravans and the early days of guiding sea kayaking adventures in the Milford Sound. Is there a song that comes to mind when you think of those days living in a caravan near the fishermen and working hard, playing hard, partying hard with your fellow guides?
1: Probably came to me years later, but we used to play it a lot in the tent. We still do. You too, Beautiful Day that song probably came out a little bit later but it pretty much sums up my feeling of Milford when I wake up there it's a beautiful day and an absolutely amazing place to wake up to
0: Today the trail us traveled is being recorded in Teanu which is the gateway to Fjordland in New Zealand on the South Island here in the West Coast. Now if you were to drive from Teanu it would take you roughly two and a half, three hours driving through the Southern Alps to get to the Milford Sound and that's where my guest this evening started an adventure company in 1990 and it's called Roscoe's Milford Kayaks New Zealand's best and most spectacular sea kayaking expeditions. Roscoe has created a lot of other events, and I'd like to talk to him about some of those. Now, most recently, I faced one of my biggest fears, and that's public nudity, to participate in what's called the New Tunnel Run. So basically, there's a tunnel. It took 20 years to build, and it goes through the roots of the Southern Alps, It's 1.27 kilometers long with a 1 to 10 gradient downhill. And about 10 p.m. at night on the 1st of April, myself and another 100 plus people raced through the tunnel. And I was very motivated to not be seen. So surprisingly, I got third of the ladies. And perhaps one day I'll come back and try again. But I'm really glad I did it. And I'm just wondering, Roscoe, how did the idea come about to create the nude tunnel run?
1: running through the tunnel naked i don't know when it first started but there's a crowd that are worldwide called the hash house harriers and they run normally from pub to pub and i was going out with a girl at the time who was a member of the hash house harriers and that was pretty much traditional that if the hash came into milford that all get out except for the driver of the van and everyone would get naked and run through the tunnel obviously you could do that back in the day these days it would be near impossible wouldn't be as much fun as the tunnel is lit up brightly with bright lights and it's got traffic lights and cameras and it's just impossible to do that these days so the hash house area as far as I know would have been the first people to officially run through naked I can't speak for the guys that built the tunnel back in the thirties I'd probably say not but you, you never know after a few whiskies they might have got up to that the first event was held in 98 some friends of mine just ran a what was to be a one-off event they made a wee torch as a trophy and that was back in 98 it was just a small group of like-minded individuals that ran through naked and then there was nothing from 98 through to when I decided to resurrect it if you like in 2003 And I decided, we're going to run this event, we're going to run it properly. So what I mean by that is that I got some trophies designed and built. I went into a local warehouse shop and got a Ken doll and a Barbie doll, took all their clothes off and went into a reputable jeweller's shop in Invercargill and asked this old guy to make me a trophy. And he scratched his head and looked at me for a while and he said he's been asked to make many trophies over the years, but this was the... the, um, took the cake if you like so he designed the trophy with ken and the running pose and barbie in the running pose and these trophies have stuck around they're still although i've lost ken's head in this last event i have to find his head they are still stuck around 15 years later and obviously the early years 2003s and fours and fives there wasn't a lot of health and safety to worry about it was just again people turning up and having a bit of fun and Milford, that's what it's about Milford creates its own fun I was gobsmacked at the interest that the event had in the early years and I realised it was a good way to raise money for all sorts of causes so we charged a nominal fee of I think it was yeah, 15 or $20 I think it's $25 these days and over the 15 years we've been running it we've raised, I worked it out the other day you know, in excess of $20,000 has gone out to all sorts of causes, community, health centre here in Tiana, locals that have been in need, whether it be from an accident or cancer. So we've given a lot of money away to the communities and individuals alike and it's been good in that respect. And then someone shoulder tapped me a couple of years ago to say that do you realise that you have in the Top ten nude events in the world there's a website if you google top ten nude events, then we make it some some of the bigger events, some of the big bike rides over in the states and some big runs, obviously, ours is a small boutique event I think comes in at number ten, but I was pretty chuffed with that you know, from humble beginnings to making the top ten in the world and while it's be fair to say it's mainly local Milford people that do the event, uh, we still get the odd person who might be traveling through or passing through. Last year I had a woman who would have been in her 60s from Brisbane, Australia. I saw her next day in Te proudly wearing her black Roscoe's Nude Tunnel Run shirt and I asked her if she had a great time and she said it was more fun than walking the Milford track and she couldn't wait to see her grandkids when she got off the plane because the front of the t-shirt it's got competitor and her grandkids would have come up to her and said grandma you didn't so yeah some people put it on their bucket list some people do it as a spur of the moment thing whatever their reasons are while I'm around the event will continue to run and there is a fair bit of health and safety involved with it these days we are getting more and more rules but it still hasn't taken out the raw challenge and fun of the place Uh, Saturday night saw heavy rain cold conditions and still got good numbers running and walking through the tunnel. Yeah it's a unique event and if you're ever over these ways around April 1st it's not an April Fool's joke and it does happen and just come and see the boys and girls at the paddle on in Milford Sound.
0: Roscoe let's talk about some of the other events that you've helped create. Particularly let's talk now about the Homer to Home race.
1: Yeah the Homer to Home was a bike race which was thought up by again a bunch of locals, I think it was after a few beers at the pub. Wouldn't it be fun to start at the top end of the western side of the Homer Tunnel, which is about 770 metres above sea level, going down a series of tight hairpins, Tour de France style, and finish at the pub. So this event was created and the inaugural race happened in 1998. And I found myself up at the tunnel, feeling a bit nervous, but confident. Confident because I'd ridden the road hundreds of times, not only on my push bike, but more on my motorbike, so I knew every single corner. I did take it very seriously every year, to the point where I went up before the race and swept every single hairpin corner clean of any pebbles or rocks. Even the smallest pebble got the broom over it so you know i was running 100 psi high pressures on my tires and i realized that if i had a small rock then it would be all over i'd be hitting the deck before i even got down to the next corner so that seriousness took me to consecutive titles six years in a row before the event was finally cancelled just because of safety concerns obviously a lot of the area there's no barriers you know there's big drops off to the side so it became more of a, yeah, I suppose a health and safety reason to cancel the race.
0: And what happens when you actually got to the pub? There was another side of the race that would maybe potentially help folks who don't have a lot of experience riding bicycles, but experience drinking beer.
1: I mean, the celebrations used to go on long into the night. There was, again, trophies at stake, and we got another event going, which is... One of our marquee events called the Pentathlon, and it's an event which normally happens about October. It involves your normal kayaking and your biking and your running, and then it gets kind of funky. The end, the final leg, is a leg which involves eating dried Weet-Bix. <laughs> two dried Weet-Bix, which is our cereal over here. Eating a banana, which is past its use-by date by usually about three weeks to a month, so pretty soggy banana. I'm sculling back a pint of beer and then blowing up a helium grade balloon until it pops in your face. So this event is in its 17th year now. And again, it's one of the events that Roscoe's in my team, you know, we sort of put it together as a icebreaker at the start of the season, we get teams doing it. So it's a boy girl in the kayak, a short kayak leg, and then a bike ride just around the general area in Milford and the run is pretty short and sharp and the finishers say so this finish is quite a spectacular sight to behold. You can imagine all the team members plus the community members you know, up to 80, 90 people screaming at six or eight members of the teams to get that wheat bix down quicker, blow that balloon up and the balloons are huge. One year, I think the year before last I actually bought the wrong balloons and they came out about two feet. And they were huge, and I thought people were going to pass out trying to blow them up and uh we sort of downsized these helium balloons last year to more respectable size but uh again, just yeah, you know, it's all about having fun in Milford. I know there's been a lot said about culture change and stuff, but uh end of the day, you know majority of people that live in Milford, especially my crew are young, they're fit, they want to have fun, they want to do stuff, they want to take away memories of a one season job for them, or if it's a longer affair with Milford then it's just things that they look forward to every year so we've been part of that memory making process. Roscoe I
0: have one more question for you and that is how do you handle fear?
1: Uh, Fear for me probably the biggest thing with fear is remember to breathe (laughs) a lot of people just uh, get frozen with fear that used to be me but these days if I'm in a situation where there is fear for any reason, the breathing the breathing is so important. And I think taking a deep breath and taking stock what it is that is causing you to have that feeling of fear and then just taking a minute to rationalise it and deal with it.
0: Roscoe, thank you so much for your time and energy meeting me here today on the Trail Less Travelled.
1: Thank you Mandela, it's been a pleasure and thanks for a great season.
0: Let's end this show with three bits of advice that you'd like to share with the listener.
1: Never give up, no matter what situation you're in, whether it be business, sport, anything in life, never give up. I think a lot of people these days are getting a bit soft, they throw in the towel a bit easy and that's one piece of advice I'd give anybody, never, never, ever give up, always try your best try your hardest and in the respect of water have a huge respect for water especially moving water moving water you've got to think of it as charging elephants i think a lot of people misjudge the power of water and it's not until they find themselves either in the water in an uncontrollable situation or it's too late you know so i think having a huge respect for water is important, especially if you are recreating on it, whether it be kayaking or swimming. Always have a good respect for that. The third thing, planning, pre-trip planning, you know, just not going off on a whim. I know that sounds like a bit boring, but it can be quite treacherous and always plan your trips, plan what you're going to be taking with you. Especially in Fiordland, you need to be prepared for that four seasons in one day and a lot of people get caught out, especially if they do come from warmer climes. Fiordland is a very changeable area to work in, to recreate in, and I think that people really do need to have some respect for this area, and I think pre-planning, even if it's just a walk up the hill nearby where you live, you know, you've know, just got to plan for that weather can change really, really quick, it can get really, really cold, and you need to be prepared for that.
0: Roscoe, what song would you like to end the show with?
1: Another Kiwi band, Crowded House, Don't Dream It's Over. Crowded House is an iconic New Zealand band, and yeah, Don't Dream It's Over is a very nice song.
0: Kia ora Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Travelled an adventure series dedicated to collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the world. You can subscribe to the free iTunes podcast and visit traillesstravelled.net to see pictures, archive previous episodes, and contact me directly. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, Roscoe Gowden. The mayor of Milford since the turn of the century, Roscoe is an adventurous Kiwi bloke passionate about the area, often outspoken, never politically correct and loves nothing more than showing visitors to Milford Sound the raw beauty of the place he calls home. Roscoe was on some days off with friends back in 1988, paddling down the Hollyford River into Lake Mikero and out into Martins Bay with the plan of paddling along the coast on the Tasman Sea and into Milford Sound. After waiting for two days at Martins Bay for the four-meter swell to ease, it was an easy paddle down the coast and into Milford. The final 16 kilometers paddling all the way into the fjord saw Roscoe and his friends escorted by a pod of 30 bottlenose dolphins. It was a very memorable trip and one that planted the seed for setting up Milford's first commercial sea kayaking operation. Today, over two decades later, Roscoe has the longest serving owner-operated sea kayaking business in New Zealand. With this wealth of experience and small team of guides that I had the pleasure of working with, Roscoe continues to offer visitors to Milford Sound new and exciting sea kayaking adventures. You can find out more by visiting roscosmilfordkayaks.com. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled and my goal for the show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers, and connect with them in their natural environment. Tonight's episode was recorded in Tianu, on New Zealand's South Island's West Coast. Tianu is the gateway to Fiordland National Park. It's The Trail Less Traveled, the community's source for adventure information and inspiration, every Sunday night at 6 and Tuesday night at 10. If the show has ever inspired you or made you laugh, please take a moment to write us a review on iTunes in in order to help this new genre of adventure radio. My adventure tip this week regards how to hold a paddle. Hold a paddle with a light grip. This allows you to control your kayak's movements while staying flexible and cutting down your chances of straining a muscle. Well, that's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, I trust that you will get outside and shred the gnar. Because the thing about the gnar is, it doesn't shred itself.